We're really excited to have Eric Johnson with us this morning, and Eric is um, part of Mormon Research Ministries. Uh, he is a friend of mine and uh, spoke to our staff last year at our staff retreat, and we found him very engaging and helpful and, and really interesting. And uh, we want to be really good at loving all the people God puts around us, <clears throat> and we want to be really good at loving our LDS friends and neighbors. <clears throat> They're people that um, are seeking God, and uh, we want to do our best to share uh, what we believe is the truth of the gospel. Their gospel that they teach is different than ours, and I think an open, healthy conversation in love and respect is what we're aiming for in all things, right? Um, I tell them, please, share with me, and I want to listen to you, and I want you to come and listen to me, too. Let's, let's interchange over uh, the issues that we find important, uh, and, and Eric is really good at this. So I'm going to introduce Eric. He's going to come on up and uh, share with us for an hour here this morning. So Eric, God's blessing upon you. Thanks for coming and being with us. Thanks, Pastor Kevin. Good morning. How's everyone doing? It's fall already. It's amazing how fast time goes, but here you are, first Sunday of your fall time. Um, I am going to be talking on transitioning from Mormonism to Christianity. I'm not going to ask a group from Salt Lake City if you know a Latter-day Saint, but how many of you know somebody who has left Mormonism, or maybe one of the fundamentalist groups, uh, raise your hand if you know somebody in the last couple of years. It is incredible how many people are leaving the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the official name of the church, and a lot of the uh, fundamentalist groups. And so I want to talk today about a book that I have written. And by the way, this PowerPoint, you don't have to feel like you have to take a lot of notes. You can just go to mrm.org transition, the PowerPoint. PDF is on there. But this is a book I wrote last year called Introducing Christianity to Mormons. Uh, it's published by Harvest House. I do have copies in the, uh, in the uh, foyer for anybody who would like to purchase one. But uh, I'm going to be operating off of the 10th chapter, my last chapter. And I actually have gotten more comments. I did over 50 podcasts over the past year uh, talking about the book. And the one chapter that got brought up more than any other was chapter 10 because it's uh, titled Growing in the Faith. And it, it's written for Christians, but it's also written for people who are thinking about Christianity because too many uh, people who have left the church, the LDS church, have basically thrown in the towel and they don't have any hope whatsoever. So that chapter was for them. And one of the things that I'll be talking about is to help them get integrated into a Christian church. That's the most important thing. So a lot of the pastors like that as well because uh, at Mormonism Research Ministry, we're not Lone Rangers. We're not a church. We're a parachurch. We're here to help the churches like Risen Life. Uh, I want to talk about a, a couple named Hal and Jenny, and this is how I write about this in my book. And they had walked into the Utah Christian or the Utah Lighthouse bookstore. Maybe some of you are familiar with Sandra Tanner, and she had a bookstore for many years. And Bill McKeever, the founder of Mormonism Research Ministry in 1979, and myself, would volunteer on Saturdays. And, uh, and so I, for 17 years, uh, we did this. We helped her out, because she was working six days a week, and she was in her 60s at the time, and, uh, late 60s. And so we started to do that. And it, it was great, because we had a chance to really see how something like this can work. And, and so this couple came in. This is 2015. They walk into the store, and Sandra had a desk with her chair where I was sitting, and there were two empty chairs where we do a lot of counseling. And Hal and Jenny looked like they were in their early 60s or 70s. They walked into the store, and I want to read from the book to help set the tone for what I want to do here today, because everything I'm doing is based on speaking the truth in love, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do according to Ephesians 4.15? And we're supposed to have an answer for who? Everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope we have. And you guys who live here in Salt Lake City, in the Utah area, the Salt Lake Valley, we have a tremendous mission field right here in our own backyard. And that's what I'm, I'm not talking about Mormonism today. I'm talking more about what do we do when people start thinking about leaving. But they walk in, and I want to read this, the book. What should we do now, Hal asked. He asked me this question. I'm not sure what you mean, I responded. He didn't give me a whole lot to, to work with. And what should we do now? I'm not sure. He says, we have belonged to the church. He just said the church which is oftentimes how it's always capitalized, since we were born. What do we do now that we no longer believe in Joseph Smith? Now, talk about a softball thrown in, your, in, in, in the vicinity. This is one you should be able to deal with. What do we do now? What would you say if you had that opportunity? 
Let me get this straight, I said. You have been members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for your entire lives. They were born in the covenant, it's called. And now the two of you have decided that Joseph Smith was not a true prophet of God? That's right, he said with a firm resolve, adding that he and his wife were each 80 years old. 80 years old. Do we sometimes give up on our older people? There's no way they'd ever change. 80 years old. We learn that Joseph Smith could not have been authorized by God, and we think the church is in error. Wow. What caused them to think that the LDS church was in error? There were several things. One, the main one was the Gospel Topics Essays. Have you heard of those? They were originally printed from 2013 to 2015 on the LDS Church website, about a dozen different articles on a variety of historical topics. And not all of these are well known. You have to actually search on the website. If you go to churchofjesuschrist.org, the church website, uh, you have to actually hit a couple of buttons before you get into these different essays. Um, these essays dealt with everything from uh, Joseph Smith having 30 to 40 wives. A lot of Latter-day Saints didn't know that. They knew Brigham Young was polygamous. They didn't know that Joseph Smith, the founder, was a polygamous, polygamous man. They didn't know that uh, Joseph Smith used a rock, a seer stone, in a hat to translate the Book of Mormon. That's now acknowledged before 2015. Nobody believed that in the LDS Church, but that's historical. We've been talking about that for many, many years uh, on our websites, on our Christian websites. Uh, also talked about how the Book of Abraham was not a real translation. Joseph Smith supposedly got this papyri that was from Abraham and translated it in 1835, and it's found in their canon today. They have four scriptures in their standard works, and it's still there today, but there's no evidence for it. So now they call it a, pretty much a spiritual translation. He didn't have to have a hard car, hotter copy of anything. He could just do it with what Abraham would have said. And that really blew a lot of people up as far as their faith. And it's interesting because these essays were so controversial that in mid-2015, when the essays had already, many of them had already been released, an LDS teacher in Hawaii was released from his calling because he was teaching from them, and the leaders there in Hawaii said, you're teaching anti-Mormon stuff. And so that's how, how uh, uh, inflammatory these essays were. It caused a lot of problems back then, and it still does today. One BYU-Idaho student said, once I started searching, I came across this recently published essay on LDS.org. That was the old name of, the, of their website, Mormon.org or LDS.org. But the prophet, 98-year-old Russell M. Nelson, said that Jesus is offended when we use LDS or Mormon. So they, changed, they took that out. Now you no longer call the church the Mormon church or LDS church. Church. It talked openly about the translation process of the Book of Mormon. It shocked me. My issue with it was that the narrative it laid out was completely different from the one I'd learned uh, uh, growing up. I frantically searched the footnotes of the essay for some sort of an explanation. However, the more I searched, the more confused I became. So those essays had a huge deal, and especially a decade ago. But what was most troubling was that seer stone I mentioned in a hat, uh, the Book of Mormon being translated. Not be in fact, you see here a church art. This came out in 2000, and I think it was 17, uh, where Joseph Smith has his hand on a hat and his hand is over it because he has to look into it to be able to see what's lit up. And the gold plates are covered. This is one of two pictures that they have used, different from the ones that they had in the past where Joseph Smith had the gold plates in front of him and was using his finger to move across the lines. That's not a true story, and yet in the February uh, 2001 Ensign Magazine, the main magazine of the church. That's the picture they, they would uh, typically portray. Marrying 30 to 40 girls and women, and he translated the Book of Mormon of Abraham spiritually, not literally. Those are big, big historical issues. If these things can't be trusted, a lot of Latter-day Saints know that's a problem. So we started to see a flood of, out of Mormonism back, I'm going to say 2015. Also, today, we have seen a lot of people leave the church, especially since COVID. That's been a hard issue for a lot of people, but the church decided to pretty much close its doors for almost a year. That was not a good decision on their part because many people started to listen to Risen Life's uh, um, your, your live feed on Facebook or whatever you have. They were watching those things. I know some churches were claiming a couple of hundred different, the churches of 40 or 50 were having a couple of hundred people watching uh, here in Salt Lake City. So, so uh, a lot of things have happened here. But I remain puzzled by Hal's question from earlier in the conversation. I said, when you ask me what you should do now, 
what did you mean? He responded, if the LDS church is not true, then what do we do? Should we stay in this church or do we leave it? Wow. I mean, they're searching. They want answers. They had heard about the Tanners. They didn't think highly of the Tanners before the past couple of years. Now they're thinking maybe Sandra was telling the truth because she was teaching these same things now the church is teaching. But it's, um, it's now on, the, on our church website. And so they, uh, the Tanners, the anti-Mormons that they were called all along, really were not wrong. They were actually correct. Some have advised those in the situation of Hal and Jenny to remain in the church. Yet I want to be up front with a couple and explain that this was a bad idea, even if leaving would be costly. I said, I believe that staying in a religion not based on the truth doesn't make sense, I explained. It's your decision, but I recommend you find a Christian church that teaches biblical truth. Now, there have been people here in Utah in Christian ministry who have said, Stay in the church and see how productive you can be. Help get others out. I just don't think that's the kind of ministry God would want us to have, you know, to, to pretend that you're a Latter-day Saint but secretly trying to get people out. I mean, I, I'm all for evangelism, but not to do it in a dishonest manner. But, but so that was my advice. I, I don't think it's good for you to stay in this church. R.C. Sproul would agree with me. Uh, he said, when the church is apostate, a Christian must leave. You may think you should stay within the church and try to work for its change and recovery, but if the church is in fact apostate, you're not allowed to be there. Consider the showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah at Mount Carmel. After God displayed his power over Baal, can you imagine somebody saying, well, I see now that Yahweh is God, but I'm going to stay here in the house of Baal as salt and light and try to work for its reform. We're not allowed to do that. If the institution we are in commits apostasy, it is our duty to leave it. So if somebody comes to you, maybe they've been in the church for a long time, and I'm talking about the LDS church again, uh, and, uh, and they're saying, what do I do now? And they say, should I stay in it? My advice is say, no, run as far away as you can. I mean, just uh, get yourself planted in a place, in a church that will help you to grow. It could be costly to leave, and I need everybody to understand that. How many former Mormons uh, are here? Just a few of you, so uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, the, your marriage could be at stake, because if one person leaves and the other doesn't, that's not gonna work out so well sometimes. Uh, some bishops have even advised the other spouse to separate and divorce. I have a case in point, my friends Dave and Ken, about four or five years ago, both of them living in separate uh, districts. They were different parts of this town, uh, and so they had different bishops, and both of them at the same, around the same time had their bishops go to their wives who were still going to the church and advised the wives to divorce the husband because they were not going to be able to get to the top level of kingdom uh, called the celestial kingdom. So both D Dave uh, was upset, but Ken was so upset, he went to the bishop's house, knocked on his door and said, you have no right to tell my wife that she should divorce me. I thought this was a family church and you're telling me to get divorced. So you need to understand if you're a man or a woman who is, uh, uh, who, who is um, married to somebody who is not, uh, who is a Latter-day Saint, and you're not. That could be a major problem. And then what about the kids? Because if divorce happens, it's heart-wrenching what happens to the kids. What are you supposed to do? One week in, uh, at Risen Life, the next week at the local ward? That will be really confusing. Extended family could treat you differently. And I have seen that in my own family. My wife, uh, part of her family comes from an LDS. They're LDS, and so uh, half of her family is. And it's... Um, it's, it's, you're treated differently. It's just the way it's going to be. In fact, my friend Dave uh, just recently was told by his family they considered him dead because he broke what they call the family chain eternally. All the rest of the family is pretty much Latter-day Saint, but my friend Dave has left, became a Christian about 10 or 12 years ago, and, uh, and so they, they've now said, you're dead in our eyes. He actually has... He, um, his uh, dad just recently died. He was able to see his dad before he died, and his mother is dying right now. So he just went back to see her probably for the last time, but it was very hard to deal with. But, so a lot of people want to avoid all this. They know what would possibly happen. It might be easier just to stay in the church and not believe it to be true, but you just stay there. Uh, and, and the idea that I mentioned before, Mormonism is supposed to be about families, and yet this is a reason why a lot of people aren't going to leave this church. More than anything else, it's the family that could be divided. 
In addition, friends are going to possibly leave. Your social network, your neighborhood is going to be the people you go to church with because they go to church based on where they live. And so whatever ward uh, district they're in, that's where they're going to go. Your employment situation could be threatened. Maybe not so much today as it was 20 years ago, but still, if your boss is a Mormon uh, who finds out you left the church, all of a sudden they're doing layoffs and you get laid off. And that has happened. A lot of people know that, so they stay away from that. Uh, you're standing in the community, could be at risk. You're not going to be somebody who is going to be trusted anymore. Now, many will stay in the LDS church, and they'll just be convenient. They'll just be pragmatic about it. I want to save my marriage. I want to save my family. I want to keep my friends. I like my job and my reputation. This is huge. Jesus said, though, you have to count the cost. You have to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. And so while I have not been in this situation, I am not a former Latter-day Saint, so at, while I have not lived the experience myself, I have many, many friends who have lived it. So I understand how hard it might be, but if you talk to my friends, they'll tell you the best thing you can do is run and figure it out later. Now, why do people leave? Why do people leave? One would be doctrinally, but I'm not going to think that is the biggest reason in this this decade we live in with so much progressive stuff coming up. Uh, Jana Reese is a Mormon blogger, uh, very popular. She's sometimes printed in the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, nationwide uh, blogger uh, and uh, speaker. Uh, she wrote a book called Plunking Sainthood, but she wrote this book in 2019, published by Oxford. It's a, it has a, it has a um, uh, poll in there that is so valuable for us in this ministry. And it was very well done. And so she, her PhD in American religious history, she's a liberal Mormon, there's no doubt about it, but she's still part of the church. And she, in her poll, gives the seven top reasons people leave their church. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not based on the gospel topics essays. It's not talking about Joseph Smith, not talking about um, uh, anything that I was mentioning before. Instead, here are the top seven reasons. Number one, I can no longer reconcile my personal values and priorities with those of the church. 38%. Now, they can mark more than one, so this would be number one reason I could not reconcile my personal values. Number two, I stopped believing there was one true church, 30, almost 37%. And that's a big deal because the church has prided itself as being the quote-unquote restored church, that it's the most correct church and that all the other churches are part of what's called the great apostasy. Number three, I did not trust the church leadership to tell the truth about controversial or historical issues. Now that, I think, goes directly back to the Gospel Topics essays printed on their website. I think that's a huge deal, because this poll is taken in 2018 and 19, so very fresh still on the minds of many people. But they're not trusting the church. And this is happening with progressive issues, like the LGBTQ plus issue is really controversial right now. And a lot of people who are still in the church are siding with that. In the parade that they just had here back in June, a number of Latter-day Saint groups who are still active Mormons were marching in that as a sign of camaraderie with, their, uh, with, with the people that they believe are Heavenly Father's children and that that kind of lifestyle should be accepted. Number four, I felt judged or misunderstood, 30%. Number five, I drifted away from Mormonism. Have you seen anything that's really hardcore here yet? I mean, I haven't seen anything. It's just more of a personal feel. I just don't really, I'm not really into it. I'm drifting away. Uh, again, in, two, in 2020, when they stopped meeting for a year, they didn't have anything for them to do as far as plugging in, like the apostle didn't get up every Sunday and give a talk from uh, the, gen the general conference uh, um, uh, building that they could have easily done. They didn't do that. And so a lot of people just kind of, they liked having Sunday mornings off. They liked not having to do callings. They liked being trusted to do their own little study, which they weren't doing, many of them. And so they ended up just drifting away. And this is before 2020. I bet that number would be much higher if it were given today. I engaged in behaviors that the church viewed as sinful. Interesting. So they acknowledge, I'm doing these things. The church says I'm really not supposed to be drinking alcohol or coffee or tea or, or smoking or whatever. And, 
you know, I just did it anyway, and so that was the reason. Number seven, the church's position on LGBT issues, and that's how they used it back then. Now we've added a Q+, plus, but uh, and I, I think the alphabet goes even further. But that is a big, big issue, and especially here in Salt Lake City. Uh, we have a very large contingent of of LGBTQ+, plus and, uh, and, and so the, it's been in, in the school where my kids went to school, out to high school, it's just rum, running rampant. Um, they're even doing a marching band, uh, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, a, a field program, and it's on a, on a homosexual theme. And it's just really, it's really scary how, how uh, this has just come into the school so, so much. Well, here's, we kind of have an idea of why people are leaving. They're not satisfied. They're doing their own thing. They're just moving away from the church. They're leaving in droves. We don't know the numbers exactly. We just know that the church's growth numbers are nowhere close to where they were. Back in 1990, they grew by 330,000. In 2020, they grew by less than 2 million. And, uh, and so, I mean, you're seeing the numbers of the converts not come in as much, and you're seeing people leave out the back door. But why do they, where do they end up? Well, 45%, I want you to grasp the number, 45%, according to Jana Reese in her book, nothing in particular. Nothing in particular. 45%, basically, or 27 is nothing, and 18% and become agnostic or atheist. Have you met a former Latter-day Saint who basically says, I've given up because I've been burned once, okay? Shame on you for, for that. But, um, if, if second time, if I, if I were to join a church like yours, which I don't really want to join, but if I were to join that and leave, shame on me. That was, that's a dumb move on my part. And so we have 45%. This is 2018 and 19. Do you think the number would be higher or lower if I were to give this today? What would you think? I would say higher. I would even say higher. I can't tell you how many people walked into Sandra's store and told us uh, that they had left the church three months ago. I'm so happy to be out. I want information to prove to my Mormon friends that this is all wrong. So that's why they were looking for the information in our store. And I, I would say, have you ever considered Christianity? Oh, no. Uh, if the church isn't true, then nothing else is. You guys have the great apostasy. It's a big problem. I don't think you have anything better than they do. I say, well, then you're, you call yourself an atheist. Then you must know that there is no God. And they go, well, you know, I'm not certain on it. There might be, a, you know, that kind of an idea. And then I say, well, hold on for a second. You called yourself an atheist. An atheist is someone who knows there is no God. I think you might be talking more of what's called the soft atheist or the agnostic position, which I don't know if there's a God, but if he comes down and shakes my hand, I would believe. And they say, yeah, that's me. Well, I said, you're not an atheist. You're an agnostic, which is one step closer to theism. Isn't that kind of cool? You just moved him one step over in five minutes. And I've had a lot of people admit, I'm an agnostic. Okay, call me that. Would you consider the view of Christianity? And I'll get into that here. So 45%, big number. Just Christian, another 21%. And according to Reese, these people consider themselves just Christian, but do not specify a particular church, which likely means they have retained Christian beliefs, but are not regular attenders. I had somebody call themselves just a Christian about six months ago when I was at the store on a Saturday. Get a lot of conversations with people who have just left the church. And I'm just a Christian. What does that mean for you, was my question. And they said, well, I, I'm a good person and I tip really big. I'm not kidding you. And I kind of looked at them and I said, but you just told me that you're an atheist now and you tip really big and you're a good person. Who are you trying to impress? Well, if there was a God, I think he would be impressed because I take my tiny money and I give out big tips. I said, you're not impressing me and I don't think, if there's no God, you're not impressing him, but that's what they would say. Well, I'm moral, I'm a good person. And if, here's the problem. If, if just Christians are not being taught or discipled in a Christian church, how have they been able to unlearn LDS teaching and assume Christian teachings? If you get nothing else out of what I say here today, I think getting them into a godly biblical church and letting them experience fellowship with Christians who get good teaching, who learn the Bible, and start to unlearn some of the things that they have learned, until they start doing that, I don't care that you say you're just a Christian. Because if you haven't uh, accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, which that's not something that you'll do in the Mormon church, you're not just a Christian. Here's the really sad part. Only 10% become evangelical Protestants, evangelical Christians like you here. 
One out of ten people, that's all there is, who end up becoming evangelical Christians. Are you concerned by that number? Is that concerning for you? Why do you think so few people are coming into the churches? Now, there are, we're having a little bit of a revival here right now. Uh, a church in Centerpoint in Orem, uh, pastor was just telling me 110 people have been baptized this past month at that church. Well, if, if, if this stat is true, that means there's how many people? Help me do the math. If there's 100 people, there's 10,000 people who have left the church who are going nowhere, who have nothing. See, here's the problem. When I hear this, if the church isn't true, then nothing else is. That is a lie that is not true. And it's probably why those who leave Mormonism do not seriously consider biblical Christianity. Because, again, the great apostasy, if you're familiar with that, all of Christianity went away soon after the death of the apostles. It wasn't until Joseph Smith restarted or restored the church in 1830 where now we have ability to have direct connection with God. And we have apostles and prophets. That's what a Latter-day Saint would say. And so if they leave that and they've been taught all their lives that, this is, that, that the Christian church has nothing to offer them, why would they come to your church uninvited? I say that uninvited. They probably won't. They're probably not going to just walk in here. They're probably going to know somebody at work. They're going to know their neighbor. They're going to know somebody who's invited them. That great apostasy is a major problem for a person who wants to become a Christian. And so when they're going to come in the church doors, they're kind of coming in a little skeptically. Yeah, like you guys have been tainted, that great apostasy. There was no truth. There was no priesthood authority, which their church claims to have. Uh, th there was no, no leader that you can look up to. Who's your prophet? Who's your apostle? Well, the name is Jesus. Uh, it says that very clearly in Hebrews, uh, um, that Jesus is our apostle, our prophet, and our, our high priest. But it comes to that great apostasy. Joseph, I'm gonna just, you're familiar with this, I'm sure, but Joseph Smith's history, out of the Pearl of Great Prize, this is Joseph Smith's story, supposedly in 1820, when he was 14 years of age. He says, my object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects or all the denominations was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak when I, than I asked one, uh, I asked the personages who stood above me, it's the Heavenly Father and Jesus, which of all the sects was right, for at this time it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong in which I should join. This is called the first vision. Every Latter-day Saint can tell you about the first vision. They memorize it in primary. They learn it all the way through uh, seminary. Um, they do it on their mission. They know the, the first vision. These verses are very important. But listen to what Joseph Smith was told by God the Father and Jesus. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds, all their doctrines were an abomination in his sight, that those professors... Their pastors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. These verses have almost been memorized by many Latter-day Saints. Those of you who once were members know what I'm talking about. The first vision is crucial. And without the first vision, you have no Mormonism. You just don't. Even the leaders have admitted that. You have to believe in the Book of Mormon and the first vision as historical events. You can't just... Uh, existentially believe in that. So here's a witnessing tip. A witnessing tip when, the, uh, when this idea of, well, you know, you're part of the great apostasy, not, you know, uh, if the church isn't true, then nothing else is. Ask the question. Always ask questions. Let them do some hard work and say, where did you learn about the great apostasy? A lot of them have never thought of this. Where did you learn about that? They don't like the LDS church. They, they don't believe Joseph Smith was a prophet. They don't believe in Russell M. Nelson. Where did you learn about the great apostasy? See, the LDS church, do you accept anything that your church said is doctrinally true? And they're usually adamant about it. When I say, do you believe the Book of Mormon is ancient scripture? No, I don't believe that anymore. Do you believe Joseph Smith is a prophet of God? No. Do you believe drinking coffee is sinful? No, I love now drinking coffee. I think you guys do too, so. You're not going to make good Latter-day Saints, I don't think. Is going to a temple necessary to be with the family forever? And they say, no. Do you get my point? They're rejecting all these other major teachings. Why are you believing in the great apostasy still? You've got to get rid of this. I have helped many former Latter-day Saints get rid of the idea of the great apostasy by using this tactic. This has been very successful for me. 
so then others will say this, but I've been burned by religion. Have you had somebody say that to you who's left the church? I've been burned by religion. How do you answer that? If I were in a classroom and we had time, I'd break you into groups and I'd see what kind of answers you would come up with. I don't have the time, so I'm going to give you what I would say when I've been asked this question before or I've been told this statement. Uh, I'm going to say this, Christianity is not about a religion because religion is always about what you have to do in order to work your way to God. The five pillars of faith in, in Islam. Meditate regularly in Buddhism. And you can go down the line of all the things that you're supposed to do in religion, because religion is about works. No, it's not, it is a religion, but it's not about religion. It's about having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is about. So you've been burned by religion, well, if Mormonism isn't true, does it mean that God does not exist is another question you could ask. If it's not true, God still could exist even though you got burned. Who did you get burned by, by the way? You got burned by Joseph Smith and many nice people, perhaps. Uh, you know, you can call the leaders nice and you can call your neighbors nice, but uh, they were wrong. And the Bible says that we're supposed to test everything, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 1 John 4.1 says we're supposed to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So just because you got burned by religion doesn't mean that God does not exist. And, and then I would say, here's another way that I've used uh, that's worked for me. Yes, I agree, you were burned, and I'm sorry for that. There's nothing I can do to take that away. But doesn't it seem like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, if this means you reject God and Jesus, if they really do exist? Would you be willing to consider the possibility that God and Jesus do exist, just not the way that the church has taught you? I have had so many people over the years say, you're bringing out a good point. I probably need to do more research. I had one guy tell me just recently. I need to go do some more research. Where do you think I'm going to tell him to start with? Maybe start reading the Bible. And I'm going to suggest maybe using a version of the Bible that's easier to read. They're used to the King James, hard to understand. I have given away hundreds and hundreds of Bibles over, over time to people who say they'd be willing to read the book of John. Would you be willing to read the book of Romans or Ephesians and see what the New Testament has to say? And that's what I would say. Would you be willing to consider the claims of Christianity? That's all you're trying to do. I'm not telling you to become a Christian. I'm still going to be your friend. I'm still going to be your coworker. But would you be willing to at least consider the claims? Maybe, hey, maybe you'd like to come to my church. This, it's a good church. It's a big church. You're not going to stick out like a sore thumb here. There's a lot of people. So it's not like everybody's going to be looking at you. Oh, there's the Mormon walking in here. No, you can, you can come with me, sit with me, and, you, and then afterwards we'll go and discuss what the pastor talked about. Let's consider the, continue the conversation with Hal and Jenny. Hal said they had considered visiting services at a local Christian church, but they were unsure who could be trusted. Do you blame him? They don't know who to trust. They're taking a chance. They've heard about Sandra Tanner. She's not there today because it's Saturday. So they come and talk to me, and I'm somebody that can be trusted. His next question floored me because of its sincerity. We're not sure what to do at a Christian a church service. What do we wear? When do we kneel? Can you help us? He had seen movies, you know, where they're genuflecting in a Catholic church or whatever else. He doesn't know what to expect. He doesn't have anybody to take him to a Christian church. So what do we do? What's the protocol? What do, I, do I wear my white shirt? I said, no, don't wear your white shirt. You'll stick out like a sore thumb. Okay, because you're basically saying, I'm from the Mormon church, and, now, and you know, certainly don't wear your garments underneath those. I mean, get rid of those things. But um, I said, you can dress casually. Some, we have a variety of people dressed here differently. Uh, but they were concerned about what to wear. What do we wear? Most evangelical Christian churches emphasize come as you are. Is that this church, Kevin? Come as you, you Kevin says you can come as you are. I mean, you don't want to be, you know, ridiculous, but you don't have to wear shirts and ties. You don't have to wear, if you want to, great, that's your prerogative. But they're not expected at most evangelical Christian churches that I have seen. Certainly there are some churches that will, but the, the picture you see at the right of, a, of, of the typical way that Latter-day Saints will dress, different. So I told him, you can just come normal. You can wear blue jeans if you like. He said, really? I said, yeah. As far as procedures, I explained how there were differences, but generally most congregations have a leader who will provide clear instructions. 
Kevin's not going to do uh, communion without telling you what he's doing. He's not, you know, it, well, what do I do now? Do I get up there? Do I, do I stay in my seat? He'll tell you. You know, they'll give you instructions. If you're a believer in Jesus today and you would like to participate, if it's open communion, some churches might be closed. Every church is different, but listen to what the pastor says up there, up at the uh, pulpit. And then uh, music is a huge issue, especially the guitars and drums. I see you guys are, you know, are more in the contemporary, and that's fine, but that's going to be a lot different than the LDS church service. So that's gonna, you're going to have to maybe hold their hands a little bit. Hey, it's not the devil's music. If you're praising Jesus, let's do it. I mean, you have to know some of the hymns were old bar songs that Luther stole and, then, and made them into Mighty Fortresses Our God, I think, was one, and others like that. Direct them to God-fearing congregations. Now, maybe they live on the other side of town. This might be too far away. You can, you, you can still direct them, and this website is going to help you. It's from our, our website, mrm.org, utahchurches.org. It actually has, uh, if you allow it to, to follow where you're at, it will tell you the churches that we recommend as far as where you're at. Two miles over here, five miles over there. You want to type in Orem, you can see what churches are available there. There's a lot of churches here. This is not the only church. But if they live in this area, this would be a great church to go to. If you know someone who's willing to go to church, invite them to come to this one. If you meet former Mormons in a service and they come in wearing the white shirts, well, welcome them. Hi, how are you? Is this your first time here? Could I sit with you? That's not a bad thing to do. I bet your uh, pastors won't mind that. That you want to sit with new visitors? That's, that's very comforting, by the way, for them. Invite them afterwards. Say, hey, are you doing anything for lunch? Uh, I'd like to buy you lunch. That's hospitality. And I think the Christian church needs to be willing to do that. Maybe you had plans. I don't know. And maybe it doesn't work out. Hey, next week, would you like to come back? I'll take you out to lunch. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think we need to be welcoming. We cannot have anybody go through the back doors here and not have anybody besides the official usher say hi to them. They can't, you can't expect the pastor to rush over and shake their hand. He might not get to see them. It's your job. If you're in this church, it's your job. You're an evangelist on Sunday mornings. Amen? Amen? What are your priorities in picking a church? Well, here are mine. I want correct doctrine. Don't you want truth? And I don't want to send them to a church that's going to confuse them. There are some churches out there I will not recommend because there's just too many problems, especially with the doctrine. I want stimulating preaching. You guys have a number of guys who come up here and give you stimulating preaching. I want you to go home and talk about it at lunch. This is what we're going to need in a church. We want a nearby location. I'm against half-hour drives for the most part because when it comes wintertime, guess how many times I'm going to church? I can find reasons not to go because it seems, I don't know about you, does it, it seems it always snows on Saturday night, Sunday morning. It just does. And if I'm a half-hour away, I'm not going to do it. If I'm five minutes away, I'll make my way over other important issues, how do, they, how do they spend their money, stewards of finances? They, they have a budget here. I'm sure you could ask for it and find out, is this just uh, going to nothing? Or what, what are the costs? And it costs money to run a church, especially with staff. Clear discipline standards. If there's sin in the congregation and the sin in the camp, how do they deal with that situation? Is it emotionally healthy? Or is everybody just so inward-oriented, they're all about themselves and, and uh, their own problems, and they're not looking out on ways that you can serve here in Salt Lake City. Training the youth, especially if you have kids, we've got to have good, a good place to send them for Bible studies, for, for being with other kids. That's tough out in the public schools. Uh, my middle daughter went to Alta High School after three years there. You know what she told me? Dad, I just want you to know, in the three years I've been here, I never met one evangelical Christian. Oh, I know lots of atheists, and I know lots of Mormons. She was part of the band, and uh, she was the drum major there at the, uh, for the first year that Canyons had that. And, uh, and she said, I don't know one Christian. So we're going to have to give them some fellowship. And so I recommend, if you have kids, get them to a church that has a youth program. Uh, home Bible fellowships. I don't know if you guys, do you guys have fellowships here that you do in the, in, on the weekday evenings. Bible study in a smaller setting where a group of people can invest in your life. This is a picture a few years ago of my Bible study, and in that group is Hal and Jenny. They're in there. I won't tell you who they are, but Hal and Jenny are in that group uh, that we have every Tuesday night at my home. Uh, and, uh, and so another thing is to get discipled someone of the same gender willing to meet regularly and assist. Maybe that's through the church pastors here. You go and, and you say, hey, I'd like to be discipled. 
whether they're going to do it, whether they're going to direct you to somebody. I don't know what kind of program your church. I'm doing this ignorantly. But I'm going to suggest, if they're a former Mormon, they need a partner. They need a friend. They need somebody, especially if you can get them hooked up with somebody who once belonged to the LDS church, who can know where they're at. I would recommend for your church to have people like that we can trust, that we can put them in contact with, somebody preferably from your church. And then we have online resources. If that doesn't work, we have uh, ex-Mormons, Christians, uh, and you, you, know, you can go on to the website I talked about earlier and you can look at this again, or it's just slash groups, slash XM Christians. They have discipleship. Mormons in transition. Um, I, think, I think they might have actually done better with the numbers. I'm sorry that it's a bunch of numbers. Uh, and then the faithaftermormonism.org, this one is run by Ross Anderson of Alpine Churches. And it's a really good program. They assign you a mentor. And they try to do it. If, if they can find somebody in the valley, they'll put them together with somebody in the valley. And then they will be responsible to help them and help them grow. These are great as secondary sources. I would love, if you're going to this church, though, if you could find somebody here who could disciple them. Because I think there's great value in a church doing the discipling, rather than someone on the other side of the state trying to do it over Zoom. Uh, if you don't have anywhere else to go, contact me. My email is eric at mrm.org. I will help get you set up with somebody, hopefully in the area you live. So if you're somebody who's just left the church, or you know somebody who's just becoming a Christian, I can't tell you how important discipleship, mentorship is for that person. You can't beat it. And you want to disciple. Jesus didn't just say to baptize in his great commission. We're supposed to disciple. And discipling is certainly going to church and being part of small groups. But I think an individual, uh, same gender uh, relationship is the best. And then learning how to study the Bible. I talk about this in my chapter. There's many methods. I'm not an expert on all the different methods. But you've got to learn how to feed yourself. And so we want to teach our are people leaving the LDS church to feed themselves without having to be told exactly what it is that we're supposed to believe, to read the Bible for themselves. Um, and I'm going to suggest when I talk to a former Latter-day Saint, a modern translation because it's just too hard to understand the King James. They don't, they've read it a hundred times and they don't know what it means. Then they read it in a new translation, uh, English Standard Version, NIV, New American Standard, whatever's your favorite. Read that and they go, whoa. Wow, it says that? I didn't quite get that. I didn't understand it before. But it's not a checkoff list. We're not trying to say, oh, you just got to check all these things off, and now you're a solid Christian. Certainly, it's just one part of the Christian diet, but we need to be able to, uh, to know what God's word says. And then prayer. I talk about this as well. Uh, in the LDS church, they're going to fold their arms, and they're going to pray to Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus, and they're going to use King James uh, words in their prayers. That's fine, but you don't have to do formal stylized prayers. You can just talk the way you normally would because God want, wants to hear from your heart. And we normally don't talk in King James English. So we need to teach Latter-day Saints, former Latter-day Saints, how to pray to God. It's best from the heart, wouldn't you agree? Not just, again, not a checkoff list. Luke 18, 9 through 14 talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. We want to get rid of the pride that the Pharisee had. We want to be like the tax collector who was open and wanted forgiveness of his sins, even though he knew that he was a sinner. But I want to let the Latter-day Saint know that becoming a Christian isn't going to solve all your problems. In fact, you're probably going to have more problems after you become a Christian. This is the way it is. Satan's not going to like this. You're going to have all kinds of opposition, and I just told you before, you might have opposition from your spouse, from your family, from your boss, from your friends. What stress. Many of us have never been Latter-day Saints. We don't know what it's like, but from the experience I have had with so many people, we need to be there for them, and there will let them know there will be hard times. You've got to have a good attitude. Uh, James 1.5 says, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because it builds you up. It gives you character. It gives you discipline. And you always go back to God's word. And it's going to be a process. You don't expect a baby Christian to have it all together. And I don't care they've been in the church for 80 years. It's going to take some time to be able to work that out. Well, you might be wondering where are Hal and Jenny today? Well, Hal is 88, and he's in great shape, 
He's a Christian believer. And Jenny is also 88. This is eight years after I met them. A few months older than hell, she just recently surrendered her life to Christ. She battled. She battled in our Bible study every week, and she would ask the questions, and I just was patient. We, we had conversations, and just in the last year or two, uh, she has surrendered her life. It's like, wow, it's amazing how God works. Um, they've been regular attenders of my weekly home Bible study since 2015. And we didn't pressure Jenny, by the way. We didn't always say, well, you've got to say the little sinner's prayer now. She let us know, I'm struggling with this. House says, no, Jesus is my Savior, my Lord. Uh, I, want, I want her to know the Lord, but, but it just took time. And it does take time. It's not going to happen necessarily overnight. Should you tell the grown children? Well, Helen Jenny's assigned ward in Utah is in a different part of town, and that actually was a saving grace because they didn't know for several years they weren't going to church anymore. They just didn't talk about it because they have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And so they kept the departure quiet for, uh, to the children for a long time. And they've had some discussions about it, and he's pretty sure they know, and they, they don't want to talk about it because he's tried to bring it up. You know, I'm, I have problems with Joseph Smith, and they, uh, we can't talk about that at family uh, time together. And so... This has been the hard thing for them because they don't want to lose the kids and the grandkids. All of them are LDS, and, uh, and so it's been hard. And the fear is that not only would you lose your kids, but you lose your grandkids and your great-grandchildren. I don't want to do that. So it, it's, been, it's been difficult for them. We've, we've had lots of sessions together trying to figure out what they can do. And it, who am I to say, oh, you know, come on, just go tell them. Easy for me, right? But it's a little harder for them. Now, this is Hal and Jenny's decision, not mine. I can't, I can't uh, make them do anything. It's not a decision I can force. In the last couple of years, though, they've seemed more open to talking to their family. So it's happened naturally, and they've had a few discussions. And with some of the kids, I guess not all of the kids, I guess one of his kids is a bishop, so that makes it really hard, too. Uh, and then the final thing, dealing with anger. I have found this to be the case with former Latter-day Saints. They, they, they're, they're angry at everybody, the church. I'm so mad at Nelson. I'm so mad at my bishop. They all lied to me. Oh, you know, you're going to have to get over it. You're going to have to get over it. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there's time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Uh, you can imagine their frustration, right? They've been lied to for so many years. Uh, and so the first year of the Bible study, they were, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I hate those guys or whatever. And so we, they don't do that anymore because it's going to be natural that we're going to get angry. But Ecclesiastes 3.7a, a time to tear, uh, tear, uh, tear and a time to mend. We must acknowledge the loss. Man, that's, I'm sorry, 80 years of your life was, was spent in a church where it wasn't true. But look at the bright side. You know Jesus today. It took 80 years, and that's how long it took him. But he's sovereign, and he's in charge. I'm not in charge. And so you cannot allow anger to control your world. And so that is something that all of us have to experience because sometimes we get so angry that it just consumes us, and I don't think that's the way God wants us to live. I don't think that's the peace that passes all understanding. And so the journey over 80 years was through Mormonism, but they found Jesus, and so we should praise God for that despite how hard that has been. My conclusion, it is possible to transition from Mormonism to Christianity. Did you hear me say this today? I want you to have hope. 80-year-old couple can leave, then anybody can leave this church. And not just leave the church, but they can become believers in the true God and the true Jesus of the Bible. Don't you want that for all of your LDS friends and family members? I know I do. We need to be willing to share our faith. It might be a question you ask. It might be having lunch with somebody. I, however, be willing to share our faith. Uh, former Mormons make the best Christians. Those of you who are former Mormons, you once were lost and now are found. And I have found former Mormons make great Christians because they know where they came from. And they're so excited about grace that maybe those of us who grew up in the church don't really uh, appreciate that well. And then Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I have two minutes, and I'm going to quickly talk about, I have books in the back, and you can go to the back. Uh, the book I'm talking about that just came out last year is available there, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, and we have some other books that I have written as well there. We have a, a newsletter uh, that just came out, um, and I want to tell you real quick about a new, it's called the Utah Christian Research, 
Utah Christian uh, Research Center, one word, it, .com, if you put that together. Utah Christian Research Center, we just purchased a building, MRM did, in Draper, Utah. It's going to have four parts to it. It's going to have a bookstore very similar to Sandra Tanner's, but we're going to have a lot more in the way of Christian apologetic works. And so it's a place to get people to come. We're going to have a large selection of Christian Bibles as well. And so we have that. We have counseling that can happen there. People come in and want to talk. We're going to do evangelism. We're going to help people who are leaving the church using some of the same tactics I'm talking about here. We have um, a library, an LDS library, for people who want to do some research on their own. We have all the books there that you'll be able to do research. Uh, and then we have biblical archaeology. We have old Bibles. We have, uh, I go to Israel every year. In fact, if you want to go to Israel, you can come with me. I have some brochures on the back table. Also, I do Turkey, Greece, and Italy, the footsteps of Paul, if you'd like to learn about that. I'm doing two trips next year. I do that as a tent making to be able to do the ministry that I do. So I have trips if you're interested in talking about that. Uh, but, and then the, another thing we're going to have is um, we're going to have Mormon uh, historical things, including the plates, Sandra's plates, we'll have those, and we'll have displays, and it's going to be like a museum for people to come and visit, um, and it's a mile off the freeway, off of the, the 15 on 123rd, it's going to be easy to find, we're hoping to open by November, we're working on it right now, we just purchased it, and just took possession of the keys this past week, so we're really excited about all that God has done for us on that, and then finally, we're going to have a classroom the classroom is uh, going to be used continually throughout the year. We're a parachurch organization, but we're going to be bringing in people to speak. Maybe Pastor Kevin would like to come and speak uh, at, you know, one time, and, and we're going to try to get different pastors who are very educated, and we're also going to be doing a lot of teaching, and we're going to hope that some Mormons would like to come to our meetings. We're going to have new believers class. We're going to do those kinds of things that um, hopefully will fill a need in the valley. Uh, two out of three uh, people who live in Utah live within an hour of Draper. And, and we're excited we're central between Provo and Salt Lake City. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to the UtahChristianResearchCenter.com, one word. You can go there and you can see what we're doing. And if you'd like to get on the group email, you can email me, eric at mrm.org. And I also have a paper back there you can fill out. So I'm excited. I talked fast. I hope you got a little bit of the information. But be encouraged. God is working in our state. God bless you guys.